Hello and welcome to Too Fast, Too Forever. There's all kinds of family. We chose this one. This is episode 272, Riddick from 2013. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe Two. And this episode is brought to you by Air Dog Diesel, heavy duty diesel fuel systems. Extended injector life, improved fuel efficiency, and increased horsepower with Air Dog Diesel. Well, shout out to Air Dog Diesel and welcome to Too Fast, Too Forever. Today, we finally close the chapter on the Riddick trilogy slash quadrilogy slash however you want to describe this three films and animated interlude with us once again we have nico vasillo hello nico hey it's me i'm here to talk about this movie you are back and then finally we've been teasing it the entire time but for the first time this little go round we have kevo reese hello kevo hello i've been here the whole time crown <laughs> I'm glad you're here because you have been watching all these movies, uh, like the devoted husband and fan of franchises and fandom that you are, and you have not really been able to express yourself in the podcast medium in the way that Nico, Joe, and I have been able to. So you yes. have finally, you know, m- the schedule worked out. You are here to talk about Riddick. Uh, but first, I want to get your takes before we dive into this movie, which is available on HBO Max if you want to watch it. What did you mm. think of Pitch Black, Dark Fury, and The Chronicles of Riddick? Uh, Pitch Black was really interesting, especially considering the period in which it came out. There were ways in which I felt like the CG was actually ahead of its time in some ways. It was a really fascinating film. There were a lot of flaws to it, but that is also something from movies of that period. Mm-hmm. There's just there's just something wrong with all of them, isn't there? Mm-hmm. But it's been a really interesting, fun franchise. Uh, The second film felt like it was from a completely different series. Uh, The anime in between didn't really do much to bridge it. And, you know, that was okay, I guess, overall. The Jack stuff was weird, even though I really have always loved the actress who played Kira in the second film. She's an actress that we know from the series of Angel. Uh, She played a major character there. Great actress. Uh, But, you know, still weird so many weird choices in this whole franchise i feel like it never knows what it wants to be and i think that's probably just vin diesel constantly wanting to do different things yeah and you know if if you got the money and the power to do it i respect going for it so as quick backstory that is wonderful transition to this so quickly david Tuhi back as director for the third time in this franchise and writer for the third time uh tracy adams is cinematographer for the first time in here so this is the movie that this we've, we've talked about this basically the entire history of this podcast that vin agreed to do the cameo in tokyo drift in exchange for the rights of this franchise and so this was the movie that he was able to make independently once he got the rights from Universal about, you know, for this franchise. Um, He apparently wanted to shoot this entire thing on 35 millimeter because I guess he's an artist, (laughs) Uh, but because the movie did not have a very big budget and because there's a lot of visual effects, they shot it digitally instead. So as a compromise, director David Tuhi added a subtle film green throughout the film. So Vin has like these, you know, elaborate, grandiose ideas for like what these movies should be. Um, he even went so far as to fund the film himself until a bank loan that got stuck in sort of transit that there was like uh, a, a loan in jeopardy that Vin put up the money himself. He's like, this movie is getting made. I need to tell the story. We need to talk about Riddick. His original idea was to make Pitch Black 
which I think we all can say is basically this movie with a lower budget, um, be like The Hobbit as a standalone thing that establishes the universe, then have a trilogy of Riddick films. So okay. I'm not sure if a fourth one is ever going to be made. There's a rumored Furia, F-U-R-Y-A, on Wiki. It's in development, but there's no release right. date. There's not, it's not listed on IMDb. Who knows if it's actually going to happen, but Vin has this like overarching grand idea. Um, and the only other real background about this before we dive into the movie itself is that this takes place five years after The Chronicles of Riddick, which is five years after Pitch Black, um, which is kind of interesting considering Cole Hauser and the guy who plays his dad here do not seem wildly different in age. And then also you, think, you figure that there's <laughs> yeah. a 10-year time jump in between, but... Uh, we will get to that, but a quick, quick, quick plot summary is that left for dead on a scun a sun, left for dead on a sun scorched planet, Riddick finds himself up against an alien race of predators. Activating an emergency beacon alerts two ships, one carrying a new breed of mercenary, the other captained by a man from Riddick's past. And here we are with Riddick, with Dave Bautista here. Yeah. We've got Bokeem Wood. Uh, what's his name? Bokeem didn't write it down bokeem woodbine that's what i was gonna say bokeem woodbine katie sackled we got a bunch of people here but overall before we get into nico and kevo because we sort of talked about it briefly before we started recording joe what was your thoughts what were your what was your take on riddick to for now close out this franchise to kind of say what kevo said i think vin diesel was watching a lot of different movies and then was like i'm gonna make in his mind, a Tarantino cool version that just is an amalgam mesh of all of those cool pieces together. And so we get a movie that feels like 50 other movies in tiny segments. I did enjoy it, and I've come along with the, like, these movies essentially have no plot type vibe to them. Because the production was a little bit better, I was more interested in and what's happening, but they break my brain every time. Like, I'll watch it, I'll focus, and I can't tell you exactly how we get to anywhere. Like, how does his leg heal from the beginning to the thing? It's just like he puts this weird cast on for a second, maybe eats some venom, and that heals it, but maybe that was the antidote. I don't know. This was one of the better ones for me. I enjoyed it. Okay. Nico, you've been here the whole time in terms of the franchise. What were what what was your thought on Riddick 2013? It was really hard to start this movie because there's a thing that happens where like, and I'm I'm gonna bring up something classic to this network just to kind of you know remind everybody that I've been on this show this network for an incredibly long time, but it goes all the way back to the Fergie um, national anthem. Okay. And it really actually does. The The main problem with the Fergie National Anthem is that Fergie, while I'm sure at some point in her career, a technically trained singer, she's really more than properly singing like a performer would sing who was classically trained. Mm-hmm. She sounds like she's imitating classically trained people. That's why that particular famously bad Star Spangled Banner is so bad. This film took a look at really artistic pieces. And I hear, you know, Vin had these big, grandiose ideas for what this franchise could be. But the actual film that we got is deeply offensive, horribly Mm. problematic, treats women like vaginas. And I'm not even being a little bit kind about that. There's one woman in this movie, and she is literally nothing but a vaginal area for the men to target with their dicks. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I'd only correct you that there's two that are the same thing, and one is murdered within two minutes and five lines. So, yeah, same. So then, <laughs> with the number of references to her fucking men, not fucking men, being forced to fuck a man, yeah. potentially as a lesbian, as a weapon to manipulate him, this movie, top to bottom, should have been made in, like, the 1970s, to the point where if this kind of material was, like, this is the kind of thing that might... Exes for podcast would literally if a book came out with this content we would refuse to cover it and would literally say like we have an avengers book we will not cover for the same reason right now we i would refuse i would literally I say vin diesel you are beyond the pale on this i can't believe some of these actors agreed to make this and say some of these lines in 2013 like people absolutely knew better about a lot of stuff like this by there was then. a pretty obama administration yeah you can't tell me otherwise the funny thing, I think, and not to say that this is funny, but the funny thing in the wording is that there is an IMDb trivia fact that says verbatim, the only Riddick film in which the lead female is not killed at the end. And oh. they, I think, position <laughs> wow. that as a win. So I think it's really interesting that this movie, that we're covering this movie the week after Avatar The Way of Water comes out, because James Cameron not only is like maybe the best action director of all time, but also famously has strong female characters at its core of his movies and always has them like kick ass the entire time. And then um, we have this. Well, I, well, I, I don't, I can't agree. He actually only knows how to write women coded as men because he doesn't understand okay. the female experience. Sorry. Okay. We're, let's not get into James Cameron. Okay. But I think to a certain extent, maybe not as fully fleshed out as possible. I don't want to get combative. Uh, they are better representations of something. And then there's this movie. I would say that for sure, Rose is a better female character, but Vasquez falls into the same exact category of this, where her femininity is sort of the whole point of the character is talking about her femaleness, whether it's very female or not. And it's really only men who direct movies where the only plot a woman has is her femaleness or not. In terms of the action genre problematic formula of women exist to be their X chromosomes, this is still that same, there's no lane for a woman but her body, whereas the men are given psychological presence, they're given reason that is not related to their gender as a construct. And that's sort of the general problem of the Riddick trilogy so far, that the women are defined by their gender, but the men are defined by their coolness. Like, I feel like if Dahl hadn't been a woman, she just would have had fewer lines and it just wouldn't have had the sexy stuff in it. And that's, <laughs> and that's yeah. not, that, that's not, that's not proper female characters. Yeah. And that's sort of a problem with action movies in general. Sure. Even my precious Ripley is victim of it in two of the four films directly and three of the four films indirectly. But I mean, the only thing I, I will say is while this is the most egregious example of it, I've covered on this network, whether it's been on this network or it's been in theaters or it's been on television, this is unfortunately the defining experience of women in action film. Well, I think the issue is that this movie just isn't overall like great. And I think that there's it's highlighted even worse because there's nothing to hide it behind. Yeah, it's another log <laughs> totally. on a very large fire. 
that like you can you can chalk up less than great, less than stellar characters or any kind of, you know, subpar lacking film characteristic in anything that's like otherwise across the board great. But when this movie is just like a sort of a higher budget or at least nicer looking rehash of the first film where like Riddick gets stranded on a planet, he is kind of the xenomorph. He has to convince people that he knows what he's talking about, that he's their salvation, that he's the only way off the planet. They don't trust him. They don't believe him. They try to kill him. And only in the end, one of them saves the other. Like it's the same thing. And we've seen it before. And it's also not necessarily particularly the original not to say that that is good or bad, because I think it's it's a fine action premise. I think there's been a million movies like that that have been very successful. But I think that when something is not necessarily unique or special or great in you know plotting or character or whatever, then the things, then the flaws, then the sexes, and then the lacking whatever, X, Y, Z, stands out even more. And I really see your point. I definitely wasn't trying to say that James Cameron is making a step above trauma films. No. I was only trying to say that he like many men goes on talk shows and says but i respect women and here's how you know i showed her titties here's where <laughs> i'm better at women than women are and like and what literally has made that Bro. comment about his ex-wife who is a director he understands women better than she does like we get into these sorts of things where like i can't even like i'm so glad there wasn't a homosexual in this because she wasn't a character even if she was gay she didn't have a full personality so it's fine. Was she gay or was that a joke at one point? Because then she offers to fuck Riddick and it's like... Never forget, being joke. homosexual is always a punchline. Never yes. forget. Well, I think it's also the Vin Diesel animal magnetism that just like, no matter who you are sexually attracted to, you cannot resist Vin Diesel. Then why aren't men trying to fuck him? Because then it's exactly. making a joke <laughs> about turning lesbians, not... Every yeah. human being is sexually attracted to him. Then it's, it's literally a, just penises. Yeah. Yeah. It's everyone with a double X chromosome. And that's ridiculous. And it's I've insulting got no answers. I've got no answers, unfortunately. That's the thing about this movie. Like, I can see the art film. I can see Kill Bill in space. Yeah. That opening, if it had been done better, could have been very artistic and very engaging. But instead, it just felt very meandering, and I had no idea what was going on. It sort of felt like the Kill Bill franchise filtered through the opening of the pilot of Power Rangers. Ah, after 10,000 years, I am free. It's time to fuck shit up. up. Fuck shit up as Riddick. There was a filter on it that just, this could have been such a cool movie. And that's part of where I'm so disappointed. Well, I think it's also frustrating. Sorry, Kevin, just just very quickly to piggyback off that. I think it's what's frustrating about it is that, like, if this is the middle part of a trilogy, it feels like it should be building on things instead of rehashing things. Like, I get that, like, if this is the start, if you're like, hey, I'm not really necessarily thrilled with where the pitch black turned out. I want to make a thing. But if this is part two of part three thing, you're, you're right, Nico. It should be expanding further into some kind of grander, like, three film story structure, arc, act thing, whatever. And it's not impossible that it could still be that, but it's really hard to see other than a vague mention of Furia like two or three times in the entire film Mm -hmm. where this would be connecting to a larger narrative in that regard. I really appreciated you giving the backstory and telling a little bit about the production of this film and saying the efforts that Vin Diesel put into seeing this made. Because the thing that it really made me flash on is something that I also thought about during this film, which is the character of Santana just in general, is one of the worst fictional characters I've ever seen in my life. But specifically, I turned to Nico during the film and said, if he was played by Tommy Wiseau, I would find him far more entertaining. 
Sure. Because he was basically a Tommy Wiseau character. And that, as you were describing the production, was the thing that flashed in my mind of that's who Vin Diesel, in regards to this franchise, is making me think of. Tommy Wiseau putting his life savings and all of this weird, bizarre effort into this film that can't decide what genre it is and everyone doesn't understand it. Like, that's it on a franchise scale. That's what it feels like Vin Diesel's relationship with Riddick is, where he is so obsessed and devoted to it. And the art that's coming out, people are like, Vin, we don't really know what this even is. What are you trying to give us? What I think is most is when, like, I was not super familiar with the guy who played Santana. His name is George. I'm going to butcher Which this. Which one is Santana? He is the, the Spanish guy. Like, he's the sort of the campy, over-the-top the villainous. He's the guy okay. who gets okay, decapitated. Okay, okay, okay. Makes sense. The guy whose weapon isn't dirty, so he's not that threatening. Yeah, the guy who licked the only woman in the film on the face during an implicit sexual attack that is never defined. He has been nominated three times for the Goya Award for Best Actor, which is like the it's Spain's Oscars, basically. So this oh. guy is like a good actor, and I think he's terrible in this movie. Like he's like laugh out loud yeah. bad because like I don't think he's given any direction. And again, like I don't I don't want to put all of this on Vin Diesel because he's not directing. This is just his baby. He's like producing. He's like kind of guiding. But like at the end of the day, it's him and David Tuhi together. But like this guy seems lost. It seems like this whole world is kind of grounded, like a little campy. But this guy is like in a different movie altogether. Hundred percent. I think there's a genuinely compelling story here between Riddick and John's, what does he call it, Big Daddy John's, like Cole Hauser's father from the first yeah. movie. Like, I think that there's something genuinely interesting about a guy just trying to get personal closure, you know, going after one of the, notor- the most notorious criminals, killers, whatever, to find out what happened to his son. But that's like an afterthought in this movie because the entire first like two thirds of it is like Santana being this like loose cannon. But like, it's not good. It just it's it, the movie, as many movies do, sort of focuses on the wrong thing, I think. Specifically, even his dialogue. There are frequently times where I turned to Nico after he spoke and I was like, did he just call those guys his besties? Did he just say that they were going to pull it out of a unicorn's ass? Unicorn's like, ass. Yep, I was waiting for it. <laughs> like anyone else in this entire film. It's bizarre. The thing that struck me was this kind of watched um, a little bit like Thundergun from um, yes. Sunny to the point where, you know, it, it's down to the Yajamokes, which like, that's another thing. Part of what makes a really good um, future world is leaning into the crazy, telling me that, like, I, you know, sometimes when they're like, oh, no, that guy, he's a morpho addict. I'm like, okay, well, morpho is morphine. Got it. You maybe went a little too on the nose. Here, there was sort of no update to the language outside of occasionally saying jamoke, which right. I just kept being like, jamoke, and, like, thinking that it was, like, very Michael Jackson-y. I want to say that I actually think this could have been a good movie. Like, I, I think the film we got was not good. But if you're telling me this idea of a killer who they kind of tried to make a superhero in the second film and then decided in this one he's a supervillain again, I don't know. The problem is no one is filtering Vin Diesel. Yeah. Because it's not even, actually, I blame David Tui a lot more than I blame Vin Diesel for this film, in part because as a writer, I have been told my whole life, don't get into films as a writer. You are not the person in charge of the movie. So, like, sure, no problem. 
David Tui was trying to make a $500 million budget film on $30 million. I think that that's where we really wound up in in the shit of it. This made me realize how much I like the Fast and the Furious movies. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's, that's a positive. That's yeah, yeah, I like that. So so very quickly as a sidebar, just to, just because you brought up the number, the first movie budget of twenty three made fifty three. Second one one oh five made one fifteen. So universe like it's funny that like Vin's like I'll go back to your movie, my other franchise, if you give me the rights to this like floundering franchise. They're like yeah, please take it off our hands, please whatever you want, uh, go do that. Then this one thirty eight million dollar budget made ninety eight worldwide because I guess Vin Diesel obviously a much bigger star by this point. So this is financially far and away the most successful movie of the three. But yeah, it's it's trying to be a much bigger budgeted movie on what in 2013, $38 million is not a lot for a blockbuster this kind of like with with ambitions this epic. And if the movie had been funnier, really specifically, if I was meant to laugh a few times, it all kind of comes down to that line from the first X-Men movie. If what happened to a toad when it gets struck by lightning was delivered with like a quippy Sarah Michelle Gellar, Joss Whedon vibe instead of Holly Berry still channeling her best monsters ball energy. That might've been a really cool line, but instead it sort of sounds like no one had ever introduced Holly Berry to a joke before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, it has all the cadence of a joke. And like, that's what sort of happened here because like to talk for a second, Riddick sucks in this movie. Like the man Riddick is not, that interesting here he's also not in it as much as i thought yeah he would be. yeah nico pointed that out at one point too he was like where the hell has he been i forgot we weren't watching predator for html like i'm actually serious i forgot we weren't just watching a predator movie for html where we cover the alien and the predator film yeah well i think yeah, it's it's he's a he i thought of it as like he's like the xenomorph but like there's this movie becomes about a group of people but like it's alien but you're rooting for the alien which is yeah. alien for me but well yeah okay that's fair i think that's alien for probably for a lot of people but i you know like it's even is like the one like lurking in the shadows and sitting on top of the thing and i think that like I would guess he believes it's cooler. People will think it's cooler if he's like, look how casual he's being and people are freaking out. Like, that's my guess for why he's not in yeah, the movie a lot. Yeah, 100% agree. There's a, a guy named Rob Liefeld who is like the most famous comic book maker of his generation for a million reasons. Like He even had like a Levi's ad where literally it was Rob Liefeld, comic book artist, modeling Levi's, and it was promoted as such. <laughs> wow. That is what the 90s were. X-Force yep. number one sold 3 million copies. Fuck you. Nothing sells 3 million copies now. So, like, yeah. So, Rob TV Liefeld. doesn't sell 3 million copies. TV? You can't even sell 3 million TVs anymore. So, <laughs> Rob Liefeld, when he left Marvel, left Marvel so he could control the story a little bit more, which is kind of a famous part of it. But... He immediately created a bunch of books that are maybe remembered but not remembered well, things like Youngblood and uh, a bunch of other titles. And funny enough, he was at Image while um, separately Bloodshot was over at Valiant. And so Bloodshot, another Vin Diesel property, really not connected to these sort of messy, terrible creators striking out against the big two. But uh, sort of amazing that it's a relic that has survived this long considering – a lot of the non-big two books from the 90s have struggled. But anyway, so he leaves Marvel and he creates Youngblood. And there's this like really famous uh, list, like the 25 worst images by Rob Liefeld. And one of them that they use in this list is from one of those books. And it's this very buff, strong, 
I would say quintessentially 90s. If you took somebody from In Living Color and said they were an action star, that is the black man that was drawn in this issue. Um, very much a statement on what a changing hero would look like. And good, it was time. And then the dialogue attached. So he's laying in bed and he's got his hands behind his head and his junk <laughs> is barely covered by a blanket. And there's a woman laying in bed next to him. And the panel is some sort of, the alarm clock is going bzzit like no noise any alarm clock has ever made. And it is like 4 p.m. according to this alarm clock. It's like 4.17, so it's even yeah. specifically a really weird time that if it like, it's, it's clearly been going off for like 15 minutes. Okay. So he turns to the woman in bed and goes, time to get up, baby. And she's like, oh, just five more minutes. And he's like, nope, no time. Got to be a man of action. And you like that last night. So hold on. Are you trying to tell me that this guy is cool because he's disrespecting the woman he just had sex with and forcing her to get out of bed when she's clearly not awake? I found the panel. I found the panel. The line is no promises. Leave your number. You know the way out. <laughs> okay, no promises. Leave your number. You know the way. How familiar is this if you're only getting her number now? So... It's one of those. That is the whole Riddick franchise. <laughs> it's that panel. It's, it's that sort of like, you know what? A really cool, progressive, muscular black hero for the 90s would have been really amazing, especially with a, an understanding of the complexities of the human psyche that result in a man needing sexual you know, sexual release to get through this hard time. And if it's with a woman that he respects and loves and, or maybe she doesn't want to be respected and maybe she wants to be disrespected, but then it's mutually agreed upon. And if you had taken the time to show those complexities, instead you make him sound like his mystical power is he's connected to the alarm clock and here to deny you sleep. And that's not the same kind of cool. I feel like, and I, you know, we're in the middle of this Vin Diesel lap and it's the same kind of, uh, Joe, I want to, I want your take on this too because okay. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel like it's the same issue that we run into when we did like Cage or Keanu or when Joe and I did Zach Efron or Gosling. It's like we like the performer, we find them compelling, but very many of their movies are not necessarily great, and sometimes they shine and sometimes they don't. And I feel like when Vin is at his best is when he's sort of tapping more into the like. I don't want to say it might be stereotypical to say, but like, let's say stereotypically like feminine side of things or when there's like a strong female presence when he's just like alpha dude, it doesn't really work. And I find these movies kind of generic and that's even same, like not knocking the fast and furious movies as much, but like some of those that aren't as where he's more just like muscle as opposed to like person are less compelling performances. And I feel like, there's just too much testosterone and I, I don't find it not just these movies, but like kind of all the Vin Diesel movies and any action movie where it's just that, like, this that. is what a muscle, this is a walking muscle. It's just like, yeah, like it's cool. And like, there's, you know, sometimes there's good quips and there's cool action set pieces or whatever, but like, it's not the Dominic Toretto from the first movie who like is a character. I, I think you're right, but like, this is a problem. And you said it like right at the end, this is a problem I have with a lot of action movies. Like, I don't find action heroes very compelling because they usually are just, like, a guy that kicks ass. And you're like, okay, cool. Like, you do that once. I've seen it. Like, that's fine by me. So a lot of the times when I do watch action movies, it's for stuff like this where we're watching it and the guy and the person who's playing the, the main character is related to some other character that we like somehow. You know what I mean? Like, that that's, you know, they were in 
the franchise that we like, so we're watching it for them. In which case, like, I find action movies more tolerable, but generally, like, I never watch action movies or blockbusters just because, like, they don't do anything for me. And this one, yes, although it's, like, this movie is just Vin Diesel kicking ass when he's in it. That's all it is. Whether it's he's fighting Predator or whether he's, like, just killing these people off one by one. So, like, that part's whatever. But, like, the thing that I did enjoy here is, like, they give him a dog, finally. I thought it was very funny that one episode after we were talking about which pet he would have, I was like, oh, my God, he has a pet. It's a jackal. Yeah, Yeah. that's the Mm -hmm. pet that he, like, that's the person that he gets. As the dog died, I turned to Nico and said, and in the last movie, that character's role was played by an adult woman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. What what I do, you know, looking ahead to the rest of this lab, just while we're to sort of put a button on the Vin sort of generic action thing, is that, like, I think just the way that it mapped out, because I wanted to make sure that we did the Triple X movies, and then I wanted to make sure that we did the Riddick movies, because those are the franchises he's most known for. But that means from here on out, the movies that we have Vin in are sort of the less stereotypically Vin roles, like things like, and spoilers for the rest of the season, but things like we're going to cover, like, The Iron Giant and The Pacifier and find me guilty and break it in the USA and like movies that like and there's other ones in there too but like these are movies that are not action movies they're not muscle bound blockbusters mm. they're he's doing something different whether that's just because he's interested or he's trying to play against type or just like a good role in a good movie or whatever I'm more interested in the back half of this because this first half of this thing has been tough. And this is why, no offense to Mr. The Rock, Dwayne, I know you're listening. I would love to have you on the show. Uh, I don't really want to do a, The Rock lap because oh, I've yeah. seen yeah, movies the same. once and they're the same movie. Like I, I enjoy them. I like seeing them on the big screen, but like I don't have things to say about them. And I really loved your point about the idea that like um, it gets to be too much testosterone because there's a sort of like a, a thing about it that I always laugh at whenever anybody's like, you know, oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, in porn, I just want like either giant boobs so big, boobs so big, they're all that fit on the screen or like monster cocks forever. I mm-hmm. want it to be that the dick is so big. It's the only thing that fits in the room. It's like 13 feet long. And OK, but then what is it compared to? Like if now all of a sudden. All of the dicks are 13 feet long, and all of the breasts are the size of Lake Huron. Now, what is the metric by you where t- these Talk things... slower. Speak slower. I'm almost there. Right? Like, well... <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm going too fast. Let me slow down about the giant boobs. Um, yeah, like, exactly. Like, that's at some point, like, it's like everybody is so much man, and we all have nine foot dicks until Vin comes in, and he sucks the dick out of all of us well no vin doesn't suck our dicks but he he sucks the dick out of us and his dick gets bigger and now our dicks are smaller because dicks and adds them to his dick it's like if everyone has a nine foot long dick then everybody is the same no one's special anymore right like every single yes if the entire team of avengers is thunder guns then who's more than thunder gun right exactly exactly keep raising that bar that's i think why i'm also very like Not only would I be highly amused to watch The Rock's incredible transformation into Trinobaline, which he will continuously deny, but I would be fascinated to watch the... I I would actually be fascinated to watch The Rock films, and I would want to use an AI generator 
And I okay. would want to see uh, if you could make an exact The Rock film using The Rock films. Although, if you guys ever decided to do a lap about The Chirac, I would be in on that. The what? It's a gay porn reference. Don't oh. even okay. ask him. He's not even really technically a gay performer. Anyway. I will say, <laughs> while we're on the... This, this, not, we're, not, not that topic, but while we're on the topic of t- testosterone and in World Cup fever, I did really appreciate the, the scene where Vin kind of channels his inner football player, where the machete falls from the oh. rafters, and he bounces on his foot and then kicks it like it's a, you know, like a bicycle kick, kind of like that he's was chained cool... up again. A cool little thing. I, I agree with you. I that was a that was an interesting way to see a death in an action movie, yeah. and I did enjoy that too. Like the through his face, it was kind of cool. Like didn't hit him dead center, not the chest. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I in the foot move. Yeah, I I like that too. Yeah. So like there there are moments in here that are cool, but again, it's just like the the movie we've seen before, the problematic elements. The fact that her name is Doll is like an issue too. Uh, like oh, that didn't I was even assuming hit my it ear was... until you said it. Yeah. I was assuming it was like doll, like uh, what's the the children's book like? Oh, yeah, that's how it's spelled. D a h l. Yeah, but like there's like hey You're doll, right, yeah. hey doll face. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where I I think artists think that like we don't necessarily always pick up on stuff. Like so many people, when House was like a big show, I would be like, yeah, it's House, like Holmes, and that's why his best friend is Wilson instead of Watson. Yeah, and he has to solve crimes. He solves Wait, what? crimes against the human body. It's he is Sherlock Holmes, yeah. and that's why he has an addiction problem because Sherlock Holmes canonically. Wow. Ha- yeah, and like I get it. That's that's actually really subtle. Like, and it's so beautifully done, and it's done so cleverly. And his infarction is the Moriarty, the thing that's always right behind him, slowing him down, getting in his way. Like, it is really a beautiful analogy, and it it why i love the first four seasons the way i do that and cal pen is perfect and we should watch everything cal pen but the thing that winds up happening is sometimes you've got people that are like ah yes he man you might not get this but he is masculine and powerful his name is he man yeah and we will make sure that you know that his other form is a a good male by calling him prince Adam, like the first man. So you always associate he-man with male and masculinity. This is also a franchise where the word dick is literally in the hero's name, right? Like there's, it's not necessarily, there's not, they're not really going for subtlety. Not that he-man is either, but like. His name is literally Ride That Dick, yeah. I just learned today for the first time that his full name is Richard B. Riddick. Mm -hmm. So that uh, takes a lot of the mystique out of the character for me, for sure. Dick B. R. Dick B. Dick B. Riddick. Well, just his name is Richard. Like that's not very intimidating at all. Your name oh, is okay. <laughs> just, can't, just, no, but oh my god! Seriously, Joe Two is right. His name is Dick B. Riddick. Yeah. Oh my god! His name is literally his penis is amazing. His name is Dick B. Riddick. Yeah. Yeah. Which you know, honestly, I don't hate it. I mean, I don't hate. I don't like it as a name, but I like it as an idea. I wanted to say something, uh, hearkening back to something that Joey was questioning earlier in terms of Vin Diesel's filmography and the choices that he makes with like the films that he does and all of that. And it actually kind of ties into what Nico was saying in terms of like artistic intent and sometimes it's just nonsense. Um, it's something I've been thinking about 
a lot recently, and specifically the other day uh, when we were watching Disenchanted, and I was thinking about just Amy Adams' whole bizarre, very different career. And sometimes mm-hmm. actors just like take roles, and there really is no rhyme or reason. There's actors who, like you were saying, The Rock pretty much consistently has a type of role and story that he's going for. He very has clearly. Uh, goals and directions for what he wants his public image to be. And some people just take jobs. Like the guy who played the preacher, Luna, um, was on Glee. Like, (laughs) you see people in the most random places, and you're like, sometimes you think to yourself, oh, I wonder what made them choose that. And it's like, uh, paycheck. Yeah, Uh, true. They just needed money. Uh, And Vin Diesel is even an actor who for whom that that is still an issue. This was a $38 million movie that made $98 million. That's not great. Dude needs money. So Especially when he's the one literally funding it himself too, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing I do want to talk about, because it ties into The Fast and Furious uh, indirectly, is that this movie has Dave Bautista in it. Yes. Um, and I Go feel ahead. like a lot Drax of the movies... Drax connection! Set... Drax group connection. Do you guys know the other side of this? Yeah, obviously. I'm sure you do. They might not. Joe, you want to hit him with it? That Dave Batista like was interviewed and he was like, I'm not going to be in one of those clown ass Fast and the Furious movies. I mm-hmm. do real movies or some, something along those lines. He's gone out of his way to turn down roles in the Fast and Furious franchise. And people have been on Instagram like, Dave, do the Fast and Furious. Do the Fast and Furious. And he's like, I have and respect responds, for myself or something that, like that's, that. That's, that's too kind, Joe, to be honest. <laughs> he responds with the throw up emojis and the hashtag, I'd rather do good films. And yet he's in this movie. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like. He's not, I guess, not against the Vin, but he's against the Fast and Furious. And I know that this Which is earlier in his career. It feels like it has to be Vin, though. And and this is what's freaking me out because we have so much more rock news that I'm sure we're going to talk about in our next episode of Life in the Fast Lane. But, like, I, I keep teetering back and forth. Like, who's being the asshole here? And, like, I can't imagine. The answer imagine. is usually everyone, honestly. Yeah, fair, yeah. fair, fair, fair. Like, yeah. I don't want to hearken back or harp, but, you know, whether or not. He is a brilliant director or not. I have been really upset about James Cameron lately just because he can't stop talking shit about superhero movies. And honestly, it's just unnecessary. And that's well, how I feel about yeah. Dave Patista's comments. You just, you did this movie and you're in Guardians of the Galaxy. You're not some kind of like aesthetic artist that's what who's I, yes, doing yes. these indie films. Well, yes. well, there's no reason to shit on other Kevo. people's work. Kevo, he started in live theater, you know, <laughs> professional wrestling. So, of course, everything he does should be taken as though it is always entitled to an Olivier. And nothing Ooh, can ever just be fun. And nothing can ever just be silly. Ask James Gunn, who has never made a film with questionable no. content. Because the, the, the James Cameron thing, again, like... There in in Avatar, like there's, I think there's just too much news. Like there are too many publications trying to get quotes and trying to get clicks and trying to get eyes on their thing. That people are asking the same things over and over again. So you hear from everybody who's just like, these movies suck. I hate these movies. But it's just like, what are you doing? Or like how Avatar made four hundred fifty million dollars in its first weekend as an A on Cinema Score. It had like basically no drop off from Friday to Saturday. Like this is this movie's gonna make all the money in the world, and yet 
you see headlines like Disney shareholders disappointed that didn't make enough money and like all these stories about how like the movie is failing. It's like, but it's not. And I think there's just too much news. Like whether it's like James Cameron, what do you think about XYZ movie? Hey, well, Martin Scorsese, do you still hate Marvel movies? Hey, Dave Bautista, what do you think of Vin Diesel? It's just like, there's too many questions. Like let, let all these people who are probably eccentric asshole artists just like go off and like stay in their own worlds I think and then the become reverse, people Joey. on screen. Then they have to stop scheduling interviews. Yes. Then James Cameron Fine. has to stop sitting down. If you can't answer these questions like a professional adult, then you shouldn't be having these interviews. I understand it's obnoxious and repetitive, but it is part of your job, especially sure. at that level, having those interviews, getting those questions over and over again. And I know it's not fun, but if you can't stand it, then you shouldn't be doing it because why is it okay if James Cameron does it, but like somebody else who's at a lower level would probably have their entire career ruined if they were talking about other studios, the right. way that this guy is talking about other people. And it's just, it's, it, it just makes you look bad and ugly is, and is part of it. Because the thing about it for me is whether or not this is James Cameron or James Gunn or James Franco or James, the guy that works at the quick check by my house or James and the giant peach from, from Joe's earlier rolled doll comments. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you're any of these people or not, something that I am finding is if you can't do the work, you don't get the job. And Mm -hmm. if making Avatar 2 with all of the things that come along with it is too much and you're really just about making the art, I have a community theater desperate for a director for a production of Our Town. Hint, they're all dead the whole time. And I really really think that we're reaching a point where like... Something that I think is really good about this movie, that for all the shit I gave this movie, and the movie does take itself way too seriously at all Mm -hmm. times, this movie does not pretend to be more than it is. It pretends to be maybe quote-unquote better than it is, but it never pretends to be something it's not. And I never once felt I got a moralist lesson from this film. I never once felt that this film was talking down to me about what I don't understand. One of the things about when you make a movie about 13-foot dicks is you are literally (laughs) saying from the get that you, person, with your normal-sized cock, maybe even your gigantic normal-sized cock, but you, my friend, do not exist in the world of 13-foot dicks. You exist in the normal world, and you're peering in on this world, Mm -hmm. and I'm giving you what it is. That's something that I really appreciate that these films gave me. They said, you know, it could have been better. Exactly. It could have been better, but it didn't think it was better than it was. It's okay to think you're better than you are. I know I think I'm better than I am all the fucking time. But the difference (laughs) is I'm not doing it at a $30 million price tag and then making it the world's problem. Because that's something that I do think. I, I agree. You know, the problem is. James Cameron has said that Avatar 2 has to be within the top three most successful films of all time. Yeah, it has to make like $2 billion to turn a profit. And beyond that, he has literally said he won't make more movies if everybody doesn't love this one. Like, snide little they were, childish they shot three. Yeah, but yeah, it's weird. I don't understand it. I, I like the movies, but that's all I, that's the extent of it. But so, but and even to that end, though, like, one of the things that winds up happening is we create these situations where, like, a movie, this one guy's dream to make another movie will literally impact 20,000 jobs. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. He is literally going to put people out on the street if this fails. And so he doesn't get to make the press ugly. That's something that I think Vin Diesel does better than most people. He plays the game. He knows he has to smile and talk about these Riddick movies like his financial livelihood depends on it because it does. It does seem like Vin Diesel is like an asshole, but kind of behind the scenes. Like we hear stories from set, but like outwardly to the press, he's not. Yeah, sorry. Go go ahead. Go ahead, Kevin. Uh, I just want to say something in defense of James Cameron and in defense of, you know, this escalating market that we have going on right now. I think it harkens back to our conversation earlier and talking about having all Thunder Guns on a team of Avengers. And I was talking about this with a friend the other day where this bar is being raised so much higher and higher and higher in ways that really aren't necessary. Like Avatar is already technically successful. It made its money back on this film itself, but we have these expectations that we keep setting. And I feel like that's so many things across the board. I feel like that's why we are getting the reactions we are getting to Marvel phase four. I think people forgot that we were already seeing superhero exhaustion before Endgame, but they got excited by that portal sequence from an Endgame. But now they want everything to be the portal sequence from Endgame. And when it's not, it's not just disappointing, it's bad. If mm-hmm. Avatar doesn't make $3 billion, like it's literally bad if it's not the highest grossing film of all time. And that's such a bar to be putting on all of these films. And he didn't set that bar himself necessarily. It's like you said, the press is saying that about the film already. People were calling Strange World a failure before the weekend it came out was over and i just think these expectations that we are setting are also really oppressive you know i made the joke of riddick wasn't successful but like no it made back its money and Mm -hmm. then some and that's a financial success and if this film or this franchise is something that makes people happy it doesn't deserve to be killed just because it's not making a billion every entry. And I think that's something that people are really starting to feel about these films. And that's just not necessary. It's funny to me that people were like, I can't believe Strange World didn't make money. It's just like, well, did you market it? Like, I said to my sister, because I'm flying down there for Christmas, and I was like, hey, Strange World's gonna be on Disney Plus this weekend. We should watch it. She's like, I've literally never even heard of that. And I was like, yeah, that's the point. Like, it's an original idea a Disney movie, an animated Disney movie, like an actual, like, in their canon kind of thing that was in theaters and no one knows about it. I didn't know anything about this until you just said it. If you wouldn't have explained it, I would have had no idea what you were talking about. It is the first Disney film where a male teenage biracial character is openly gay and gets a boyfriend at the end of the film. Is that played by, is that the character played by Jabuki? Yes. I have theories about they didn't really push it that hard because that is now it happened and that is a landmark and there were no boycotts or anything like that. It just didn't do very well. And now they can just do the next thing. Do you think if they would have pushed just like philosophically, do you think if they would have pushed it, it would have caught, is it a good or bad thing that they didn't make it more um, promotional for its success in your eyes because now it does exist and it didn't catch a lot of pushback but nobody knew that it existed now people can pick it up in aftermarket yes i think that you might actually get more eyes on it if you didn't have the like fox news pushback of like the we have to boycott this movie 
Okay. And Disney as a company thinks more about aftermarket and thinks more about long-term success, which I do think is smart. And, and it, mm. to, on this subject, I think that's what more companies do need to be thinking about and not putting so much pressure up front. I do think, though, that there is a little bit of a, a failure in intent and, ex, uh, and execution here. Because Probably. I do agree that they definitely do love to test the waters on projects and have smaller avenues to explore. But the problem is Strange Worlds was phenomenally expensive, and mm. there is no chance that they intentionally blew that much money. Because, again, that's putting 20,000 people out of work. Right. And that literally results in people having financial hardship because of a movie. That sort of irresponsibility is something Disney tends to not do without um, really obviously a big middle finger. And I feel one of the things that happened here was pandemic, change of CEO, rechange of CEO, financial hardships for the world. I think sometimes movies just get shuffled wrong. And like, fair, it's not, fair. I'm like, I think the thing I'm even trying to say is it's its own kind of cruel and bad and problem and dreadful thing that happens that is a blight on the film industry but it's almost like people go yeah i lost track of that one we'll get him next time slugger i really appreciate you making that point and i think it even brings us back to the subject of the episode itself in terms of whether or not we're ever going to see furia and riddick 4 on this side of the peak of the pandemic Things are just so strange and things have come through the pandemic so strangely that it's really hard to know what the market of anything is going to look like. Will Riddick mm -hmm. 4 get made? I wouldn't be surprised because of how strange things in the filmmaking industry have become. If I found out that Riddick was getting an Amazon TV series, I'd be like, oh, but I wouldn't be like fully shocked because... Things are so different than they were 20 years ago when the first film came out and 10 years ago when this film we're discussing came out that who knows what avenues they might try to pursue to continue to get this story made if Vin is really still this dedicated to it after all these decades. And there's so many studios like uh, Warner Brothers that's really trying to get up and coming risk taking on HBO Max right now. They'll definitely try. <laughs> they are they are spending money hand over fist over there trying to get new IPs. They're just taking gambles over there. They're really they give me creators. money for this episode. <laughs> I will say, and I think I hope that. So okay, comparing to a second, this is my final thought on Riddick because I feel like we could talk about a million things that aren't Riddick. This isn't even really about Riddick, but to compare Vin Diesel to The Rock. Vin Diesel seems to have three franchises he's very, very passionate about. Riddick, Fast and Furious, and then I think to a lesser extent, Triple X. There's a Triple X okay. 4 coming out. Uh, there's wow, this I didn't even know there were three. There are three. The yeah, one of them has really Ice Cube. The, yeah, he's on the second one. The second one, State of the Union, is stars Ice Cube. Well, so he's not in the second of any of his films, I guess. Okay. Correct, yeah. Except besides this. this. Yeah, that's besides this one. This one. Oh, he's his, his name is in the title, so yes. Um I think Vin knows he can't overextend himself too much. And I think as his career has gone on, he's become more hands-on. He's become more producerial. And I think that he is literally the guiding factor, guiding force in these Fast and Furious movies. So I think to your point, Kevin, will there be a fourth one of these? I think I would say yes, probably. But I think he knows he can't do it until after Fast and Furious is quote-unquote over. 
Right. So I don't think that it would happen until after 11 because compared to The Rock, who is like, sure, I'll buy the XFL. Sure, I might run for young president. Young Rock. Sure, I'll produce Young Rock. But that's the point, Joe, is that we covered the first two seasons of that show, every episode on the show. Yep. And yep. I didn't know a third season of that show was coming out until it was coming out that night. Yes. And like The Rock, Joe watches, you know, half watches in the background, you know, like Good Morning America or Today or whatever. And like Pat McAfee show. And The Rock is promoting everything every day and doesn't talk about this and it's just i think that there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it and i feel like the rock is very successful no one can argue that he's not but he's like letting certain things sort of go on the back burner yeah and vin is like i need to give a hundred percent of myself to my thing even if it's not for everyone even if it's not to your taste i'm gonna put my heart and soul into fast and furious and the people who love those are gonna love those and then when that's done then we'll do a triple x4 we'll do a riddick 4 whatever that's my guess based on nothing other than a hunch because the fact is for as successful as the rock is right now it is not always a guarantee that just because you have all these coals in the fire means they are all going to be very successful i don't think they've announced anything specific yet but i imagine the future of black adam uh its days are numbered i don't know they actually well during this episode oh he exploded Oh, shit, really? So in this episode, he said that James Gunn, it's not going to be in, quote, chapter one of the James Gunn new universe, but he might return. So they basically said, there's no Black Adam 2 any coming anytime soon. Hopefully we'll get to do another one, but it's not going to happen, you know, in this first round of the James Gunn reboot. Oh. And frankly, it's not just because of the James Gunn changeover. It didn't do exceptionally well. And they put so much behind it that mm-hmm. it's part of why there was this James Gunn turnover. That they're like, we gave The Rock creative control of mm-hmm. the DC universe. And look what happened. And yep. so and- I think that's where, at the very least, Vin Diesel, you know, you you if you dedicate yourself to more specific passion projects, at least, you know, that's more of a focus. I think the thing that I'm walking away from this franchise with, number one, I would love to redo Fast and Furious with you guys having seen them now. Ooh, okay. Knowing the trajectory, understanding that when Hobbs and Shaw enter the franchise, who they are in their first films is unrelated to who, except for the fact that it's The Rock playing The Rock and Jason Statham playing Jason Statham. I would love to because the thing I'm walking away from this franchise with Vin Diesel, it's the Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire thing I'm always bringing up. Gene Kelly was Mm. the sexiest man in the history of the world, and nobody danced better, nobody moved better, nobody was more handsome. And God damn it, did he do it like it was easy. He -hmm. was a sexy athlete, right? And then there was Fred Astaire, and Fred Astaire hit every step, and he hit every step on the note with a smile looking directly into the camera, hand splayed, finger open, bend your hand, move the foot. Every single thing about the way Gene Kelly danced is effortless and sexy. And every single thing about the way Fred Astaire dances is poised and intellectual and on the note. And I feel like the Fast and the Furious franchise is an example of the way in his own way, and I can't believe I'm saying this, But Vin Diesel is at his best when he's a Gene Kelly. Vin Diesel is at his best when he's just allowed to dance and look good and feel good. Because when you try to put Vin Diesel on the steps, when you try to make him hit and pop at the exact second that an action star should. Yeah, and be this tough lump of clay. It becomes very uh, saccharine superhero 
I don't want him to save me because I don't I don't think he's really a savior. And trying yeah. to make this Riddick, this anti-hero definition of a hero, I don't know. Let Vin be Vin really is like the big takeaway because Riddick is Vin's playing an action star dream. But Fast and Furious, and specifically, I actually I, I hate saying it because it makes me sound so dumb. But one of the best short films I've seen in my entire life is the stupid short film attached <laughs> to uh, fucking Dom coming back. Like Dom was far more the role he was born to play than Riddick. Absolutely agree. Yeah, I just I really feel like Riddick is not who Vin is. It's the testosterone roid fantasy that every young man has as he's trying to figure out what kind of action star he'll be. And for many people, for many young men, young women, non-binary people, it's a fleeting second and they never go back to it. But Vin Diesel built an empire out of it (laughs) and then was able to finance a film about it. Wet dreams need to, you got to wake up sometime. And I feel like, you know, Fast and Furious is the better side of it. Well, and I think to take that even a step further, it's more that he doesn't even know what he wants the character of Riddick to be. I really, Truly. I, I loved your point about wanting to go back and rewatch the Fast Furious films. And I would love to do a lap, especially like as the franchise is winding down. I absolutely loved your point about the Jason Statham and the Rock characters and seeing what their origins were and seeing how they were developed and thinking about the fact that the characters that they were introduced as were in no way the characters they were intended to end up playing. And the thing that flashed in my mind was the Jason Statham character that we met is in no way the Jason Statham character that would put earmuffs on a baby and protect it from bad guys, making sure it can't see him shooting them. Like, such a wildly dramatically different (laughs) character. It was a development of the character as opposed to I feel like they are constantly pulling and pushing Riddick back and forward as to what we are supposed to... Yeah, back and forward inside each movie at times, even. In such a way that I just, I don't think it's working unless you're trying to tell me that this is supposed to be satire or parody. If you're telling me that this is purposely supposed to be satirical in terms of Riddick's bizarre mercurial, is he a hero or an anti-hero or literally just the fucking villain and we're supposed to enjoy the franchise for the fact that he's a bad guy, that's a lot. It's a lot to have to watch. So um, I'm, I'm not sure I would be excited to hear that there is going to be more of this, especially with how unfocused it's been, I think that, like Nico was saying, Fast and Furious is far more uh, what Vin is suited to. Yeah, and I would love to. I, I'm, I, I will speak for Joe. I would love to have you guys yes. back as yes, you know, uh, in a few <laughs> laps because we have ten coming out. So we need to get you guys on for ten when it comes out in May. So you'll be on in June probably to talk about that. But then. Who knows? Like, there has been so many talks about, like, oh, Hobbs and Shaw 2, the Letty Led spinoff. We don't even know, like, we don't even have a trailer for Fast 10 yet. I know that we're well, still We do early. have news from that, too, by the way. So we'll get, I mean, but, like, it's, who knows when Fast 11 will come out? But yes. There's, there's a much bigger conversation here. I am thrilled to be talking about the future of the Fast and Furious film franchise. But, you know, the news that they're trying to produce a matching TV show, Merc City, to go with Furia... You know, that just reminds me, 
I think it's time. We're not rewatching Spy Racers. We reboot Spy Racers. <laughs> no, no, it's due. As, it's been off the air for due. like six months. That's that's literally that's reboot time. That, and I think it should be called like Spire Racers. Oh, or, two spy, two racers. Two spy, two racers, and it should be. And yeah, you know, for all the problems with Spy Racers, <laughs> and there really are a lot. You definitely can't call it spy racist. You can't no. call it's it not. It's not. Stick racers. It's you can't not. call it. Yes. Tyler Posey doesn't really have a lot going on. I think we could get him on board for a live action reboot of Spy Racers. Like it would not on take ice. that much cajoling. I'll play the car. A year ago, this <laughs> you can come ride me. Spy Racers Homecoming released. So there were ten months between the first and second season, and then two months, and then four <laughs> months, and then four months, and then four months, and it's been a year since Homecoming. <sighs> wait, are you saying we've done the whole? Wait, are you? Wait a minute, are you saying we did seasons two, three, four, five in like a year? Yes, that between was the whole October point. October of twenty twenty and December like, oh, of twenty twenty one. five seasons came out. The entire show aired within two years. Yeah. 52 episodes. Way less than two years. Like, yeah, no, like no, no, 14 no, two, months. Two years. No, two years. Okay, oh, sorry. Because okay. there was a 10-month gap between the first two seasons. Oh, that's but, right, that's right. Okay, But okay. the final 44... It's just was inside one year. The final <laughs> 44 aired within 14 months, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that your use of the final 44, like, that's not, like, most of the show. <laughs> the thing happened on Teen Wolf, ironically. Like... Three seasons all aired within 14 months. It was bizarre. Maybe so that's Tyler just a Posey, Tyler Posey thing, I guess. Maybe he just gets really motivated. He's just like, guys, we need to do all the seasons right Get now. Get back like, in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. need to work right now. Joe, do you have other thoughts about Riddick before we watch the trailer? Uh, I just like that he climbed the aggro crag at the end. That was pretty cool. Cool. Yeah. Riddick is going to climb the aggro crag. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I wish. I would love if Mo Collins was in this. That would that would That would have... I at the beginning I genuinely said he's gonna make friends with this dog and that's gonna make that movie better for me and it did it, it did. did it definitely yeah. did but Mo Collins would have been a vast improvement I don't think it's Mo Collins I think Mo Collins is the lady from Mad TV yeah but I would also it like was Mo, Mo Collins something. yeah I would uh, love if Mo Collins was just like I'm here to tell you about the Agrocrag <laughs> like that would be amazing I hope it is still Mo Collins just a different one you know I Michael Malley that's a guy who uh. Went from very kind of okay, but like when he was a dad on Glee, hot energy and like sounds silly, but like actually, that's the kind of hot energy that I love from Vin Diesel the most. When he's playing a guy who I, I don't want to say Vin Diesel's best days are behind him because they're not, but when Vin Diesel plays a guy whose best days are just behind him, like mm. Dom Toretto is not at the top of his game at any point in the Fast and Furious. He's actually always struggling to stay as relevant and ahead and strong and fast. And he's always proven yeah. himself. Like, that's something that makes a Vin Diesel character so great. His so best days, Yeah, his best days may be behind him, but the best of him is yet to come. That's the energy I like on a Vin Diesel character. Uh, a man who is going to not give up for his family a man who wasn't going to give up for himself and a man who recognizes that the scars that he has don't make him weaker. They're just part of the tapestry of him. Yeah. And that is Richard is just a dick. Yes. Whereas Richard B. Riddick is just Riddick. Uh, Kevo, any other thoughts about Riddick? I'm thinking. Think about it for a second, Nico. Any yeah. thoughts for you before we watch the trailer? No, this was like, I, I'm glad I read it and didn't like it. 
um, Reddit. I'm glad I watched it and didn't like it. I that's okay. You should that's be okay. challenged yeah. by things you don't like. Uh, you know, I'm famous for thinking that one of the greatest comic books of all time, and I will walk on hot coals about this, is at the top of its game in your understanding of it and concept of reading it. The engagement of reading Preacher by Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon is one of the most exciting things you will ever do in your life. The engagement of reading Preacher is so amazing. And like even the stuff you know is horrible and there's stuff that's so problematic and it has aged so badly. Then you get to issue 66 and Alamo and you get to the the final battle and you get to Jesse in, in his moment of glory and you finish the book and you're just like, oh, oh, what the fuck did I just read? <laughs> and like, yeah, you're, that's sort of how I feel about this. I don't feel better yeah. for having watched them. I don't feel stronger for having watched them. There were things that were really exciting in the moment. But on the other side of it, I'm really like, I might even watch some Fast and Furious without you guys. Uh, like, I genuinely love Dom Toretto. And I don't know that I love, like, they're bad movies. Like, objectively speaking, they are not mm. Citizen Kane. But mm. they're good movies. And they're fun movies. And they're great movies. But that's okay. Because you don't have to be good or bad. You can be good and bad. And that's amazing. Are you reading Abed from his course on Nicolas Cage? I wish. I Because Abed is like a hero. But uh, I, I wish Riddick had the good that goes along with yeah. making a tongue-in-cheek action movie the way Fast and Furious does. Because it's cool that Fast and Furious, we get to make that there was food all over the place. That's bad. That's really bad dialogue. That's bad. But it's fun. And it's yeah. silly. And we can laugh about it. And we can like it. And I, Kevin and I literally say there was blank all over the place to each other. All the time. All the time. Like, seriously, it's part of our couple's vocabulary now. Or if we, we hear someone say something similar, we're like, oh my god, did you hear that? Oh, <laughs> all over the place and we can't stop and like that's that's the magic of a good movie that has bad parts and i just wish riddick had any good bad parts that's and i fair. feel like i really agree with all of that and i feel like pitch black was a very interesting movie with some bad points and i feel like riddick is a bad movie with some interesting concepts at yeah. times yeah fair yeah i think that's fair any other thoughts other than that kevo I know, I, just I know. that I wish it wasn't. It could have been better. I, I, I didn't, you know, outright hate Pitch Black or Chronicles of Riddick, but um, I'm mad at this movie, specifically. All right, let us watch the trailer. Oh, by the way, I saw this movie in theaters. I did not say that, but I saw this movie in theaters in 20, <laughs> 2013, so I've seen this movie twice now. Ooh. Riddick official trailer 1, 2013. Vin Diesel, Carl Urban Movie HD, Joe from a new account. Rotten Tomatoes, coming soon. Which, oh, I I love Carl Urban's name being in there. Just yeah. hilarious. There have been more egregious uses of that where it's like the fifth build person, just like, that's not their movie at all. Like, they're not, they're barely yeah. in the movie. But yes, exactly. Carl Urban's like, hey, I'm back from Chronicles Riddick. Nice to know you. Uh, thanks for the paycheck. I'll see you next yep. time. Whoop. Hi, it's I'm me. Out. I'm Scourge. Mm -hmm. um, I'm here to be a really pointless inclusion to these films but i'm bones now i need this but yeah. it ultimately winds up changing it's one of those things i don't know that so scourge has always been like like a joke in the marvel like in in thor like scourge is like a it's lame like scourge is really lame and carl urban has had such a positive effect 
on Scourge's popularity in the comics that in accordance with the rise of Jane Foster, who now has literally always either had her own book or been in a book as an Asgardian god force, whether she is the Valkyrie or Thor, at all times since it began in like 2013, Scourge has actually had the same treatment. And it's a really cool thing to see how the MCU, how these actors who like, I don't give a shit about Carl Urban outside of like, he's a movie guy. Like I'm not a person who invests in movie guys like that, but like, it's just so cool that that's meant that now there's more as guardian characters that thrive, which means there's more room for more Thor books. Thanks to there being beta Ray bill and Scourge and uh, Jane all getting more attention. It means there can be like three Thor books. And it's like, it's just such a cool way that you can see something like uh, an actor that you have no real connection with. And like now when I hear Carl Urban's name, I'm like, yeah, that's that guy that means that there can always be three Thor books. Thanks, Carl. Like, yeah. it's dumb, but it's like a really weird way that these movies just this movies are magic. I feel like Nicole Kidman. <laughs> because they are. All right. Let's watch. Riddick. <laughs> all right. Are you guys have it all queued up? I'm all paused. Yeah. All right. Three, two, one. Play. Starts very very slow. We I, I will have cut that out. We just had some technical difficulties. Nico and Kevo now in the same room watching the trailer. I will say that this is a decent trailer. So get excited. I don't think we need to see the dragon too much. Oh, well, I guess it's this thing. It's not really a dragon. It's like a. I do think the first like fifteen minutes of this movie are just like them fighting imaginary creatures. Yeah. That was very Shredder of him too. Like the arm through the ground. I've been hunting ready for ten years. I feel like all Johns' dad needed to do to find Riddick in the last 10 years was watch the Chronicles of Riddick and be like, oh, there he is. Yeah, true. This is a man who sees in the dark. Why does he have a shirtless? So watch out for surprise attacks. We said it in the trailer part that we cut out, but I like that Joe and I were saying that we like the movie looks yellow. Like, I think the, the nice aesthetic, the yeah. yellow Baron Wayson aesthetic looks pretty good in this movie, as opposed to the blue from the first movie. You get where I'm going with this. I think it fits, but it definitely did look like very 300 to me for a little bit. I like the, um, the coffins, or whatever you would call them, that we the saw a little bit of the condoms. Yeah. Yeah. Once again, Joe, Vin and Chains. Yeah, he has to every movie. What is happening? Yeah, I guess that's an interesting turn. It's not really like them fighting Vin for most of the movie. It's them trying to fight these predator things. But it's the same thing as the first movie, right? Like it's always like Vin knows what's going on. Vin knows how to save them. Yeah. You have to listen to Vin, you have to trust Vin, otherwise you're all gonna die. That's what his movie sets are like. Yeah. I'm really glad that the trailer showed the one other woman who was barely alive in the movie. It does feel like in he's trying IMAX? to make an alien movie. I did not see it. Well, I, no, I don't think I saw it in IMAX. 
He said you're not afraid of the dark because it was the pitch black movie. Ha ha. Get it. Get it. All right. Yeah. So that was definitely the trail. Like, I don't even know how to explain it. Like, that was the trailer for the film. And what I watched was the made for TV remake. Oh, okay. Okay. That trailer was kind of cool. It was taut. It was way too long. You, you know, there was too many, like, establishing shots. And it's also, if you go by that trailer, I would expect Katie Sackhoff and Vin Diesel to be in 90% of the film. Probably mm-hmm. together. Not as a couple or anything, but, like, physically On together. On screen together, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would never think that they're each only in 40% of the movie. Mm-hmm. And only 20% of it overlaps. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird, man. Before we close up shop, we have to play the Letterbox game. So for reference sake, Mad Max, Fury Road, one of the most popular films on Letterbox, has been seen by 1.3 million people. Riddick, 2013, directed by David Tuohy, starring Vin Diesel, Matt Nabel, Katie Sackhoff, and if you ask YouTube, Carl Urban, has been seen by how many people? Uh, 4,506. 4,506, okay. 37. 37,000 or 37 people? Or 3,700? 37. Kevin's never played the game before, so this is new to him. Yeah. Kevo, this, just as a quick background, this is the most difficult game in the world. Somehow Joe got the last one on the dot. I don't understand how he does it sometimes. Uh, his mental math, he explains it doesn't make any sense to me even then, but sometimes it works. I'm going to go mm. 65,000. Jesus Christ. What the fuck, Joe? It's 67,802. I, I not too bad that you that you cheat. I know. I swear to God, I not. don't. Come on, your you success rate is too good. I know. I know, but I also have my doubts. No, I swear to God, I don't cheat. Hey, listen, listen. Even Carrot Top is really good at bodybuilding. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, out of those sixty-seven thousand people, every Letterbox account Kevo has a top four. You can put any four films in there you want. These are your four. You're telling the world these are your four favorite films. How many out of those sixty-seven thousand people? Have Riddick, this movie, in their top four uh, favorite films of all time. This time I might be actually saying 37. Okay. That's a good guess. That's, That's a, a reasonable really good guess. guess. That's a really reasonable guess. 406. 406? Okay. Really high. Yeah. It is really high. I was going to go 25. Mm, 22. 22 people. Have this wow. in their top four. Joe is like seeing the the Matrix through the code right now. That's actually such a relief to hear, though. As we've said before, a good rule of thumb is like 0.1% is like a good starting ground from how many people have rated it. So it should be like 67 as a starting point. Yeah, yeah but I think that this movie is not great. Definitely has some problems. Letterboxd wouldn't like is a little bit older and I don't think the franchise has as much of a cult following. Like if it was like if it was like a Fast and the Furious movie, I probably wouldn't went up on the sixty seven to about like ninety to a hundred way more probably. You know, but in that scope, that's what yeah. I would have probably done. So yeah, twenty It's still like like the logic makes sense. It still is a lucky guess and I don't know how he gets it right more often like as often as he does. I don't understand it. It's it's still wild to me. I will say gambling, baby. Everyone who has it in their top four who reviewed it, their entire top four is Riddick movies. So we Probably can't play true. one of those. Yeah. But we're going yeah. to Baba Loki at Baba Loki, who has Riddick as their number two favorite film of all time. Okay. 
The now, other... Kebo, we try to guess the other movies in their top four. And I will say the other three in Baba Loki's top four are three of the most masculine dude testosterone movies Fight of all time. Yeah. Fight Club. Fight Club, no. It would fit, but no. Uh, so one of them has got to be one of the Arnold fucker mm-hmm. movies, like mm-hmm. Predator. Oh. Or... Predator is number four. You there you go. Good there. shit. Nice. One of them, the other two movies, I will say, we mentioned already in this episode. Alien. Wow, okay. Alien is number three. There you go. And what is the most testosterone, most bro movie that maybe has ever been made? Super Mario Brothers uh, movie. Salad. No, I, I, no, <laughs> no. What was Nico's? Not in front of my salad. Yeah, that's true. Is that, a, is that another gay film starring your, your gentleman from before? That's that gay the movie meme. of that dude fucking that dude in front of that salad, and that chick is like... The meme. In front of really? my salad! In front of my oh. salad. That's an actual gay porn starring Jackson Wheeler, and it's... Uh, and yeah. Jake something. No, yeah. it's not that yeah. film. That's not on Letterboxd. But I mean, it is the you most know. testosterone-driven film <laughs> of all time. Wait, okay, it's, it's not even, though. It's Although, not even... <laughs> If it was testosterone, it wouldn't have been a salad. It would have been like a protein shake or something. But Oh, yeah. You know what? There's salad in it. So it's it's out. It's for fags. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> fags. Salad, the salad makes that very gay. It yeah. does. It, it makes it soft gay, too. Like, you know what I mean? Like, as soon as you hear salad, you're like, no. Oh, limp I wrist, was okay with lettuce. the two dudes fucking, but I'm not. Uh, a salad? With a I'm salad? Not, I'm out. <laughs> oh, not even oh. like honey mustard or anything to like toughen it up. <laughs> Just all vinegar. Yeah, what, what is, is it? it? Is it Die Hard? No. Oh, good more... guess. That's a really. I really like the thought there. More, yeah. more testosterone than Die Hard. It's been mentioned in this episode. Okay. No. When, um, when you when you hear the answer, you'll know why I'm saying what I'm saying. It can't be Terminator because Terminator got a lot of Yannick energy because of Linda Hamilton supposedly. I will also say there is not really yonic energy in this, but there is a lot of boobs in this. There is one, I can name one actress from it, but it's mostly dudes doing dude stuff. It's been mentioned in this episode. Horrible bosses. Just the most testosterone. No, we did did not mention either of those movies this episode. I know, I'm trying to think of things. I'm I'm just trying to. You said it in the last 10 minutes. Last 10 minutes? Twice. Twice. Oh, Avatar. Duh. No, no. I didn't say Avatar. No, I, I was I was joking because okay, he said sorry, Avatar. Sorry, 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 sorry. No, that would have been a real guess from me. Um, shit. What please did I say? Movie. Getting my jokes. Well, oh, 300, 300. 300 is the Thank most you. testosterone fueled film of all time. I would say one of them up there. Somebody mentioned Frank Miller in a in a negative way, and it wasn't me. That's really weird. Baba yeah, Loki's I... top four. Yeah, go ahead. Did not hear anyone mention 300 in the line. I said, I said the, the color palette. Yeah. The color palette yeah. for this movie compared to like pitch black and things like that gave me big 300 vibes. When yeah, I so get Baba that. Loki's top four, 300, Riddick, Alien, Predator. Yeah. Wow, this guy turned 14 in 2015. <laughs> well, thank you both so very much for thank joining you. us and closing yeah, out this you. franchise in style. What would you like to plug? Well, Kevo, you you go first because you have not been on the earlier episodes. What do you got going on? What do you want people to find you online? Anything? Nothing? Anything in between? 
Uh, well, you can find me on the socials at Kevo Reilly, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y, and you can find uh, what I've been doing over on our YouTube channel at Hubs Plus Network. Excellent. Uh, we've been doing a lot of really cool video stuff over there. Uh, I'm very excited about all the uh, work I've been putting up. I'm learning a lot of cool video editing stuff Ooh, and making cool. everything look cool and fun. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Kevo, I do need to let you know that we're going to have to remove that comment from the record because we, we ran a poll and it was voted on by our fans that we're not allowed to plug any specific social media handles. I yes. should have said that before. Yes, to so, other social media networks. I'm so sorry. But so funny because you. I ran a poll to see if you should still be president <laughs> of this network and you actually lost that poll. Interesting. I'm the president of Cage Club Network. Thank you, everyone, for welcoming me to my role as new president of Cage Club Network. That's so Riddick. If you kill it, you get to keep it. That's the whole point yes. of the movies. I, this is Necromonger rules. Yeah. And yeah. Nico, what would you like to plug? Remember, the only rule is that Kevo is the president. <laughs> uh, so I guess that makes me first daughter. And um, mm, mm, Okay. I couldn't think of a movie that was like the wife of the president. My and date with I the president's daughter? And there's also First Daughter, and there's Chasing Liberty. There's a bunch there's of movies. No first Lady movie, huh? But there's no First Lady movie, so I had to go with a movie about the president's daughter yeah. because there's also no like president's son movie. They don't want to make I any know. movies about like the son of the president going around dicking bitches. Like uh, First well, Kid, Jackie. Well, but that's like also, a specific. I'm also really surprised that you went with First Daughter with Katie Holmes and not Chasing Liberty with your girlfriend Mandy Moore. Wait, so there's – the American president is not about – it's about a, a, a president falling in love again, I think, right? Like, I haven't seen that in yeah. forever. Yeah. So that's yeah. in the ballpark-ish. There is a Tubi mm. original movie called First Lady, a modern fairy tale? Ooh. I don't know. Ooh. And I, I guess I can talk about the Princess Diaries because sure. she becomes, like, First Lady of our hearts. Okay. Absolutely. So what do I want to plug? Um, Where can I find you, Princess? Mm-hmm. You can find me everywhere with this guy doing the Hubs Plus thing. You know, we're doing X's for Podcast as a live two-hour Sunday brunch now. Everybody comes and talks about all the books from that month. And uh, we just have a great time. And there's, like, commercials. There's bumpers. It's a whole lot of fun. There's music. There's laughter. There's usually some amount of accidental uh, timing Nudity. problems. Nudity. It's, I wish. That would be a lot more exciting <laughs> than, wait, guys, are we back? Are we back? So if you could just, you know. We're learning, and it's really exciting. We have a special holiday game coming out where uh, we all, in secret, designed our own X-Men titles, and we're going to share them live on air to uh, kind of have like a fun game to celebrate the holidays. We're going to do 60 Avengers comics in 60 minutes wow. as part oh. of, of Avengers Lang Sign, where we are <laughs> going to say goodbye to the last two years of Avengers coverage of Avengers, Avengers Forever, Avengers Assemble, and we're going to ride out the Jason Aaron storm as we get ready for whatever Marvel brings us next year with the Avengers, and that's going to be fucking insane. 60 issues in 60 minutes. It's, it's, it's three of us. It's going to be on video. It's going to be unforgettable. Talk and, about uh, an hour. Everybody gets 20 seconds on an issue. We're, like, not even kidding about this. <laughs> It's going to be a good time. As always, you can find me on socials at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Very, very cool. I also want to give a special shout-out to our patrons. So shout-out to Cassie Wilson, Ben Milliman, Nick Burris, Alex Ellen, and Justin Kleiman, Brian Rodriguez of High School Slumber Ooh. Party. 
Haley Gerbys, Wes Hampton, Jerry Robinson, Dan the Duke, Hayden, Renato Donato, Michael McGann, Lane Middleton, Lindsay Lewandowski, Nate Milton of the Kings of Sport, Jason Rainey, Tom Price, Mike Gallier, and Jessica Collins, a.k.a. Montez. Thank you all for supporting us at the $5 a month level or above. We've got a bonus episode for you coming out in the next week or so super fast. Alex Ellenin's pick. Uh, the main feed is getting this after Christmas. The patrons are getting it before Christmas. So either I hope you have a nice holiday or had a nice holiday or did nothing if you're a Grinch like Joe. Amen. But our next real full episode is A Life in the Fast Lane, Too Fast, Too Furious, Minute 80, then Tokyo Drift, and then The Iron Giant. I'm very excited to do a Vin movie that is not a testosterone-fueled rampage through an alien planet. But, Can I ask hmm. a question? Yeah. How much do I have to Patreon to take, like, to like control an episode? Uh, it's ten dollars a month. You get to pick one episode per lap. Okay. Okay. And do I get to request the guest? Yeah. Well, <laughs> so we, yes. You can either have yourself be the guest, or you can have someone mm. else. If you can connect me with them, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, I will. I will connect you with him. He is a very, very friendly name, uh, Nico guy. Uh huh. I figured. I figured as much. Yes, <laughs> folks, look out. Go to TooFast2Forever.com. And now the new thing, Nico, is that you can pick any movie you want because we are now Doesn't doing it like, sort of off-theme. Doesn't even have to fit a theme. theme. Doesn't have to fit a theme. It's just going to go on the Patreon. So any movie you want, we'll talk about it at TooFast2Forever.com. But for all things Too oh, Fast, no. Too Forever, I know. Oh, no, indeed. Go to uh, – for all things Too Fast, Too Forever, go to Facebook.com. <laughs> I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. Facebook.com slash TooFast2Forever or at TooFast2Forever on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, family at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon page where Nico's going to go if he hasn't gone already at TooFast2Forever.com in our Not store. in front of my salad. At <laughs> TooFast2Forever <laughs> on TeePublic and come back next week for Life in the Fast Lane Minute 80. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe Too. And those are the Hubs Plus creator extraordinaires and the new president of the network Kevo Reese and first princess Nico Vasillo, yes. and we'll tell you all about it. <laughs> When we see you again.